0: We all are looking wonderful tonight. we got some good energy in the room. We're going to take that same worshipful attitude into study of the Word of God tonight. Who's hungry for the Word of God? Yeah. It's going to be a good night. Grab your Bibles. Leviticus chapter 23 is where we will begin. Welcome, King of Kings family. Some of you welcome back. Haven't seen you for a while, but it is great to have you. Welcome all of you watching online as well. King's Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, all of the channels that it goes out to. Thank you for being here in Jerusalem. Now, we're just between Yom Kippur. Hopefully you had a wonderful, restful, fruitful fast on Yom Kippur. And now we're just about ready for the next holiday. You may not be able to guess what it is. It is Sukkot. So I'm glad some of you caught that joke. It's hard to miss it. It's right there put right in front of you, but it's an exciting time. And let me just give a little honor where honor is due. I wanna thank a few people for rearranging the stage for us this week, for putting up the sukkah and the lights and the decorations. Thank you uh, to Ula and, and Abby and Anne and the girls. Uh, thank you for uh, Tyro and uh, Mikael, Sam and others. Everybody who jumped in, thank you guys. Can we give them a hand clap? Just say thank you tonight. Wonderful. And wonderful reading, Jonathan, as well. Jonathan's one of our deacons, he and Chrissy with the new twins. Blessings to you. It's a happy birthday today as well to Birgitta. Some of you may not have known that Birgitta was singing right here. Happy birthday to Birgitta. She can hear me on the, in the back room. So happy birthday, Birgitta. Uh, and we had a new baby in King of Kings last night, actually yesterday morning. So if you were on that little chain of prayer, thank you for praying. We, we welcome into the family little... Baby Greaves. That's the last name of the family. Greaves. It's not the first name of the baby. Some of you were thinking, what an odd first name. Baby Greaves. That'd be weird. That would be strange in English. Yes. Um, but little uh, baby Greaves for, for Jacob and Liz, we bless you guys. They are recovering and they say thank you for all of your prayers. We have our wonderful. A group of friends watching online tonight just want to welcome everybody from Argentina and Australia and Austria, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Colombia, France, Germany, India, Ireland, all over Israel, Kenya, the Netherlands, Philippines, Poland, Portugal, Sicily, Singapore, South Africa, South Korea, Sweden, Switzerland, United Kingdom, United States, and more. If you didn't hear your name called or your country called, that's because you didn't tell us where you were watching from. Make sure you write Rachel. Rachel is the host tonight. Thank you, Rachel, for hosting tonight. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you might remember we're in a series called More Than You Think, that Yeshua is doing more than we think he's doing on all of these festival days. I was reminding you on Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets, we also use the term Rosh Hashanah, that he's doing more in preparation for his return and preparation for our inheritance than we might think. And then, of course, on Yom Kippur, he's doing a lot more for us than just forgiving us of sins. That's a great thing to do, but he's doing so much more than just that. And as we move into the Sukkot season, I want you to be reminded of our theme. We're going to be pointing out how much more he is doing than we think he's doing. If you've missed the last few weeks, you can go catch it on Archive, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going on the timeline. We call it the prophetic timeline of God. And we notice that the festivals of the Lord help lay out that prophetic timeline. So here we go. Get on the roller coaster. We're going fast. If it's too fast for you, that's okay. It's on the archive, kkcj.org. Go check it out. The first festival of the year, remember there are seven of them. The first festival, Passover, Blood of the lamb on the door, free from Egypt, right? Yeshua was our Passover lamb, is what John told us. And he died in the Passover season. Helping us to see the fulfillment of that festival, even on earth during his earthly ministry. Now, during that Passover week, we eat unleavened bread. What was Yeshua doing after his death? Because he died at Passover, what is he doing next? He's in the grave, taking away the sin of the world, taking back the keys of hell and death. Yeshua himself even gave us a hint, and he said, sin is like yeast. Get it out of your life. Was it any wonder why the feast of unleavened bread, he is in the grave taking away our sin? No, it's perfectly in time with God's plan. As we come later into the week of the the Passover week, we have first fruits three days after the Sabbath. And of course, what happened three days after Yeshua died, we know he resurrected on the appointed festival day of God. He became the first fruits from the dead. That's what the apostle Paul told us. Paul got it. He saw the revelation. He said, that is the first fruits from the dead. That's what the day was about, helping us to see the fulfillment of both Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and first fruits. Then the Bible says, count 50 days from the end of that Festival. We count 50 days and we end up at another God-appointed festival called Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. And what happens? The the believers, there's 120 of them gathered. They've obeyed the Lord. They've waited in Jerusalem, just like Yeshua said. What happens? Another earth-changing moment on God's appointed day of the Feast of Weeks. The Holy Spirit falls on everybody. Acts chapter 2, if you want to read about it thus fulfilling, helping us to understand the fulfillment on earth of that festival and what it was pointing to. Then we get a little bit of a break between festivals during the summer months and on into the autumn. We arrive at the Feast of Trumpets, and of course we identified two weeks ago the Feast of Trumpets is identifying for us the return of the Lord at the last great trumpet blast. That's a festival that prophetically has not yet been fulfilled yet. So we keep looking forward to that day. Last week for Yom Kippur, we noticed that the Day of Atonement, that there is still a great judgment seat coming. There is still the final judgment of the earth. It's still waiting to happen. So the great Yom Kippur will still happen in our future. We see the fulfillment ahead of us. And Sukkot. The Feast of Tabernacles, as it connects to the age to come, because it has not yet been fulfilled at its highest measure yet. And we're going to dig into that a little bit more tonight. Your finger should be in Leviticus 23 with our opening reading. Turn to verse 33, and that's where we will start tonight. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is to be a sacred assembly, do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly, and do no work, no regular work. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord. The burnt offerings, the grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbaths and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed in all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. So, first, let me make this contrast. Last week, on Yom Kippur, we really focused on the idea that it was the High priest that did all the work. It was the high priest that got up early and took a special immersion mikvah bath. It was the high priest who put on special clothes. It was the high priest who did sacrifices first for himself and his family and then for the people of Israel. It was the high priest that took the blood into the Holy of Holies, the only day of year, to sprinkle that blood on the Ark of the Covenant, on all the articles in the temple. And it was the, t- the, the priest that came out and then took that blood and sprinkled it on the people. The priest was doing all the work. The people had to show up. That was our job. Have the right heart attitude. Show up. We didn't have to build anything. We didn't have to eat anything. Right? It was a fast day. We didn't have to wear anything special. There was no special dance we had to do or nothing. It was like God saying, I will do everything if you will let me just be still on Yom Kippur. But on Sukkot, however, it is the exact opposite. You've gotta do a whole bunch of stuff on Sukkot. It's like he's making up for Yom Kippur. Well, let's do a whole bunch of stuff. In the scriptures you're gonna read, what do you do? Well, you start by building the sukkah. You're going to build the temporary shelter. It's going to remind you of many things. It's going to remind you that our people were in the desert for 40 years. They had to live in tents. It's going to remind you of that. It's going to remind you that this earth is temporary. This earth is going away. It's going to remind you that your body is temporary. Your body will be changed for a renewed body. It reminds us that the age that we're in is not the final age. It is temporary. A whole lot of things are happening during the Sukkot instructions. There's a commandment to rejoice. Pastor Ray mentioned that. So in the house tonight, please, no sad faces, no long faces. Nothing but happiness. It's my holiday. Sounds like me talking to my kids at my house. Hey, guys, just happiness today. Can we have a good day? Let's not make up problems. There's no problems in the house. It's a happy day. It's it's happy and it's a commandment to rejoice because it's looking forward to its fulfillment in the age to come where there is nothing but happiness. That's why that commandment is there. It's telling you what it's going to be like. Then we have the waving of the lulav and the etrog. You see on the table behind me here, you see the species. We're going to wave them next Uh, next week during the service, you say, Pastor Chad, it's a beautiful sukkah. You have all of the elements. Why don't you wave them tonight? Well, we could. There would be no problem with that. The the only issue is it's not sukkot yet. So we're going to reserve the blessings and the waving for next week. So come back and you'll get to participate in that. So we build, we rejoice, we wave a bunch of stuff There's a Sabbath on day one and day eight. And you say, well, that didn't make a lot of sense. Wasn't it a seven-day festival? Didn't it just say that? It did. It is a seven-day festival, but there's a Sabbath day on day one and day eight. You're looking at me like, that doesn't make any sense. How does math work in the Bible? Is this that new math that we've been teaching the kids? I homeschool three of our kids. There's this new math going around. Apparently the math we've been doing for 7,000 years is not good enough. Got to come up with new math now. No, it's just God's way of saying, bonus, bonus day, rest. After all of your rejoicing, rest. Then there is bringing of the offerings. Remember, this is a pilgrimage festival. You're supposed to be in Jerusalem now if you're a male, a Jewish male from all over the earth. You're coming into Jerusalem. You are bring the first fruits of your past crops with you. So that's going on as well, but did you notice that it mentioned all of the offerings you have to bring, sacrifice offering, wave offering, drink offering, grain offering, all of this stuff, and then it stops you and says, keep doing all of that, and don't forget to bring extra. Yom Kippur was do nothing, Sukkot is about doing extra, not for your salvation, for your remembrance. Remembrance. Remember all of the good things God has done. It's a very active holiday. We bring extra on this day. Now, oftentimes at this point in the year, I like to bring up the point of Yeshua's birth. For those of you that have never been with us before, this might be new to you. If you've been with us before, Listen to me for a few minutes. Just let it wash over one more time, and we're going to go a little deeper tonight than we've done in the past. We're not trying to start arguments. This is certainly what the Bible calls in Romans a disputable matter. If you feel like you're about to get your toes stepped on because of the day you celebrate Yeshua's birth, I just want to lay out my apologies on the front end. We're not saying anyone has the answer. Can we just be clear? But I do wanna show you a couple of things about Sukkot that are interesting. So everybody, pick up your toes, don't get them stepped on, let's just enjoy the word of God tonight, right? Yeshua's birth, it has a story behind it. It has things like Zechariah, his uncle, was in the temple doing his priestly duties when the angel Gabriel came and told him, you're about to have a son. And you say, well, why, that's, why is that important? Well, because we know when Zechariah was in the temple. We know he was in the eighth order of David. We know that he served in, for two weeks at a time two weeks in the spring, two weeks in the fall. So we know when he was there, which means we know when Elizabeth, his wife, got pregnant. How how does that help us with Yeshua's birth? Well, because Elizabeth had John, and John is Yeshua's cousin, and Miriam or Mary's pregnancy is related to Elizabeth's pregnancy because they're six months apart. How do you know that? Because it's in the Bible, it tells you they're six months apart. A little bit of this new math again. I'm going back to math a lot tonight. Don't tell my kids. So if you know when Zechariah was there, you know when he's serving, you know when she got pregnant, you know when Mary got pregnant, you know when Yeshua was born, a couple of clues are there for us. We know that it was the time of the year for the Roman census. Rome doesn't do census in the winter. Why? Well, if you've lived here long enough, you know what our winter is like. Downpour every day. Cold, windy, rainy. If you haven't experienced it before, take a picture of this this year. Find the largest pile of umbrellas you can find. Take a picture and send it to us. It's hilarious how many umbrellas break during our winter. The gusts of wind just breaks their umbrellas and people just toss them in a the pile. They didn't do the Roman census in the winter. We know that from their records. How about Yeshua not having a room in the, in the motel in the inn, they called it. There was no room. He had to be born outside. He had to be born in, can you stay with me, a temporary dwelling. You say, all right, all right, Pastor Chad, I'm with you. I like that. I like what you're doing here. I see the puzzle pieces. You're putting some of them together for me. Listen, it goes further than that. One of the themes of Sukkot is to live temporarily outside with a thin roof so that you can view the stars. You think it was any... Coincidence that a lot of Yeshua's birth was announced with the viewing of the stars? I think there's a connection to look at there. Next, the shepherds were out in the fields with their flock. Can I just let you know, shepherds are not out in the fields with their flock here in Israel in the winter. Why? Because there's no grass. I'm not stepping on toes, I'm actually just reading the scriptures out loud. The the shepherds don't go out in winter, they pin them up, how do you know that? Because I have shepherd friends, and we know where the grass is and when the grass grows and how to feed the animals, they wouldn't have been out during the winter time. So that again puts us in a different time of year. Remember that I said on Sukkot, you bring all of the regular Offerings, and then you bring extra gifts to the Lord. Do you see any possible connection there with the Magi coming? What are they bringing? Bringing gifts. The shepherds are the ones that see the stars, but the Magi, the wise men, are bringing extra gifts to Yeshua on a festival of the extra gifts, on a festival of being outside, living outside, being born outside, looking at the stars. So much of it makes sense. And one more symbol that we could possibly connect with tonight. We know that Sukkot represents the age to come. What does it say about the age to come? It is the dwelling of Yeshua with mankind once again. Wouldn't it be neat if God were so smart that all of his festival days commanded long ago all had earth-changing moments on them? Well, that would be neat, wouldn't it? So far, so good. And wouldn't it be neat that if in the age to come, we call it the Sabbath age, the age of rest, maybe we'll even call it the Sukkot age. Revelation 21, Yeshua comes down and he dwells, he tabernacles, he lives with his people. Wouldn't that be amazing that if in the birth of Yeshua that he did the same thing? It was God's moment to dwell, to come down, to live with his people. Could it be that they're both happening with the same symbolism? Again, it's a possibility. If you didn't like any of my comments, that's fine. You can send me an email, write me a, a very polite chat. I'm open to the discussion. But you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter because Yeshua was born. And tonight, I want to take you a little bit deeper into the power of his birth, whenever you think that might have been. If you think it was in the wintertime, go for it. If you think it was in the springtime, like some people think, go for that. That at least has a few more possibilities. If you think he's born in the fall, and you like some of these symbolic moments, go for that. So from this point on, we're not going to necessarily worry about when he was born. We're going to worry about that he was born, okay? Okay. Because as a body of Messiah, we actually don't spend a lot of time on the birth of the Lord. But the Lord has given me a word and a little bit deeper revelation today than I've ever gotten before about his birth. And that's what I wanna share with you today. At Feast of Trumpets, we looked at his preparation for return. At Yom Kippur, we looked at the preparation and the forgiveness of our sins, redeeming us from death, erasing our debts, cleansing our guilty conscience. All of this leads us now to Sukkot and possibly the birth of the Messiah. Is more going on than you think at the birth of the Lord? Is he doing more than we think? I've touched on the idea that Yeshua came to dwell with us at his birth, but my question now is this. Is it possible that the birth of the Lord set in motion everlasting peace? The idea of everlasting peace. Was it set in motion at his birth? After all, isn't Yeshua prophesied to be called the Prince of Peace? The world hasn't seen a lot of peace yet. So we might say, although it's been done, it hasn't been all the way fulfilled yet. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, if you have your Bibles open. Isaiah nine, verse six. For to us a child is born, To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. When Yeshua comes to dwell with his people in the new age, the age to come, I called it the Sukkot Age a while ago, when that happens, he brings peace with him. And he establishes this everlasting peace that we're talking about. As a matter of fact, why don't we go there and read it? Revelation 21. It's a key, key verse for this time of year. Revelation chapter 21, the first four verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Remember, I told you, Sukkot represents temporary nature of this earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and the first heaven had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I don't know how you describe peace. That is pretty much how I would describe peace. In the age to come, this Sukkot age, with all its prophetic symbolism, do we not see Yeshua coming to dwell with mankind and ushering in the everlasting peace that was prophesied? Can we also point out that Sukkot is the seventh festival of the year. Now, that should ring a bell to some people. That number seven, biblically, stands very strong. The seventh day Sabbath, a day where we do what? Where we rest. Where we rejoice. Seven is the number of perfection, the number of completion in the Bible. It's the last festival. It's the last prophetic festival. It's the last age that there ever will be for us. All of that is tied into this seventh holiday of Sukkot. It's a time where Yeshua brings the everlasting peace that has been prophesied about. But let me take you back to his birth for a moment. Can I take you back to a little something that happened with the shepherds? Now, I already told you that the shepherds We're out there in the fields, probably not in winter because of the grass. They need it. But they were looking at the stars, which is a theme of Sukkot. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Let your ears be open to catch this one. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. So an angel had come down and he had been speaking to the shepherds. And suddenly a host of angels came down and appeared with this angel. They were praising God and they were saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Isn't that interesting? He's prophesied as the prince of peace. His dwelling comes down, symbolic of Sukkot, God dwelling with mankind in the age of peace. The shepherds are there. They look at the stars. An angel appears. They say, What? An angel, this is great. Then other angels appear, they start singing, they're having a little glory party. Glory to God in the highest, they start talking about it, and peace on earth. That's an odd thing to say if it didn't have prophetic significance. Could have said, Glory to God in the highest, the Messiah is born. That would have been helpful. What they brought with them was a message of our future. They brought with them a message of, guys, peace has now begun. He's here. The prince, the one you heard about, he's here. And they, they announced this prophetic message of peace. Isaiah prophesied it. The angels prophesied it. The shepherds heard it. It was that which was beginning to be realized but is not fully realized until Revelation 21. We just read that. Its final realization is in Revelation 21, but its launching started at the birth of the Messiah. God of peace. Now it's important here that I help you put a few more puzzle pieces together because there's an order to the work of God. Everybody know God is a God of order, right? God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. He does things in order. The festival days should prove that to you, that when he sets something in motion, it is perfectly on time. You are here tonight out of God's will, and you are perfectly on time. A couple of puzzle pieces we're going to put together for you. First, if Messiah is ushering in peace, you understand that a government can't usher in peace until that government is in charge. Do you understand? Yeshua can't usher in peace until he's king in charge. So he has to go back a few steps and recalibrate things on the earth. So what does he do? He comes as a baby. He says, I can't get us, I can't get us to that age I'm talking about with the way we are. I've gotta come back and first become the ruler so that I can command peace. But there's a problem with that step. The problem with the step of coming and immediately setting up the government, which is what the disciples wanted him to do, he could not immediately set up the government because of this principle, right? Watch this. God cannot be around sin. He can't do it. Sin is not going to be in his presence, so he first, before he can draw the people to himself, he has to go backwards fix the sin problem taking an unholy people making them holy then he comes back with the last trumpet announces himself to be king now that he's in charge governmentally he can now announce peace we end up with peace but we start at the birth of the lord he had to come to earth to set things in right order first with sin and humanity, then he will come back to rule and reign, and then after the ruling and reigning, he will be able to announce and command everlasting peace. Matthew chapter two, verse one and two. After Yeshua was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star, there's another star reference, We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Notice the king of the Jews. So we have the prince of peace, Isaiah, the angels, the shepherds. We have the prince of peace. But now we need the king of the Jews. So now the magi, they're going to bring this message. You see, each group had a different message. They had a different role to play. The magi, the wise men, are bringing the king of the Jews' part. They're saying he can't bring peace until he rules, and then he can bring peace. But he can't rule an unholy people until he fixes the unholy people. So he has to come as a baby, die for the sin of many, and make redemption for the earth. There's an order to all of this that God is doing. And it's interesting because his kingship comes up several times. Remember what Governor Pilate had written above the execution? Stake, Matthew 27, 11. Meanwhile, Yeshua stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Yeshua replied. He's saying, yes, I am the king. A couple of verses later, same chapter, Matthew 27, verse 37. Above the, his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Yeshua, the king of the Jews. I always find that interesting, and it's a deep deep thing to think about. Notice it doesn't say they put his title above him. Wasn't his title they were after? It says his charge. What was he guilty of? The other, remember, the other robbers above them was thief, and thief. Above Yeshua was king of the Jews. That was the charge against him. Wasn't his name plaque. King of the Jews becomes an important theme in this whole orderly process. The angel Gabriel announced Yeshua's birth this way, Luke chapter 1, 31, speaking to Miriam. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Announcing again his kingship. So all of the announcements about his birth have to do with peace or his kingship. So how do they fit together? Well, I laid out the pieces for you. Everlasting peace is the end goal. But you can't establish peace until you are ruling and reigning. And God cannot be in the presence of sin. So before he announces his rulership and his reign... He had to first come and fix the unholy people so that we can be with him in that kingdom. Thus the birth of the Messiah. He's doing so much more than you think. Hallelujah. Let me give you the key phrase of tonight. Yeshua's birth has set in motion everlasting peace. Yeshua's birth set everlasting peace in motion. It wasn't just a baby being born. It wasn't just a prophet. And yes, he was the Messiah, but it wasn't just the Messiah either. It was the prince of peace being born. It was the eternal ruler being born in a time and a place where he could fix things so that he could inaugurate the age of peace. The age to come. The Sukkot age would bring it to his highest fulfillment, but first he had to be born in a humble human form. He had to present himself as a sacrifice in order to make his people holy. He came to announce peace. He came to heal people. He came to prepare us for his kingship and his reign, and finally, everlasting peace is the end result. Let me summarize. When we celebrate Sukkot, and we do, for, we do so for many, many reasons. First of all, it was commanded. That should be enough, but there's more. Sukkot reminds us that Israel was temporarily in the wilderness. They lived in tents. Sukkot reminds us that we are on a temporary earth. It reminds us that we are also temporary on this earth, and that there's a new heaven, a new earth, a new body, a new age waiting for us. It foreshadows the last and greatest age for humanity. Let's call it the eternal age, the new heaven, the new earth, the age of rest, the age of Sabbath, the Sukkot age to come, where God dwells with his people once again. We also celebrate Yeshua's birth. Whether it happened during Sukkot season or not, because His birth is significant, because it connects us to His redemption, it connects us to our future, it connects us to Him being the Prince of Peace, and it connects us to Him being the King of all things. Sukkot is doing a lot. God is doing more through Sukkot than you might think initially. Much more is going on than just a baby being born. Everlasting peace is being announced. Redemption is being launched and kingship is being proclaimed. He came to orchestrate peace through the healing of sin, then to come back as ruler to establish peace. Now, Yeshua does this certainly eternally, but he does it individually as well. You know, the same process happens in our life. God wants prosperity, everlasting peace for us. He wants to be the ruler of our life. But he can't be that until we say yes to him. And it's interesting because he doesn't first offer the kingship. He first offers the cleansing. Take the cleansing, then come into my kingdom. And look what's ahead of us. Perhaps you've never seen these pieces of the puzzle before. Perhaps you've never even allowed Yeshua to be your king yet. Maybe you don't even see the age to come. But let's start with something simple tonight. You know and I know that there are problems in your life. I know that because there's problems in my life. You know and I know that there's sin in your life. That means you've done something that you know God is unhappy with. How do I know that you've done that? Because we've all done it. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short. Everyone in this room has sinned. Every day as believers, we're trying to give that sin back to the Lord. Give it back to Him. We can't do anything with it ourselves. We can't cleanse it. We can give it back to the Lord. And where Yeshua wants to start with us is let me take that sin from you. Let me make you holy with my blood. Then let me be the king of your life to rule and watch in my rulership how much peace you have. That's the order. Those are the puzzle pieces. And if you've never said yes to the Lord, today's the day you can do that. Come find one of our leaders, our pastors, one of our prayer partners, one of our ushers, one of our deacons. We will pray with you. We will let you know the next step. You don't have to know the next step yet. All you need to know is the God of all creation is offering to you I will take away your sin today and I will be your king and I'll teach you how to live a life of peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you that you give us great amounts of symbolism and connective elements. Father, we might even confess we're not wise enough to figure all this out on our own. So we're grateful that you put all the pieces right in front of us. Yeshua, thank you for coming. Thank you for leaving a heavenly place of paradise and choosing humility, choosing an earthly form, coming in the form of a baby, being born into humanity, never sinning so that you might die for us and take our sin. Thank you. Thank you for having a plan, God, for our salvation. And we embrace that this is a festival of rejoicing because of all you've done. We rejoice because of what you've done what you're doing, and what you're about to do. What else can we say? We love you. We're grateful. And we say thank you for all of these things, all of these gifts. We bring you our heart as gifts tonight in Yeshua's name. Amen. amen.